nobody's explained to you how this works, have they? You see, I am part of the first, as you kids call it, but I'm also me, Lonnie Diane Rich, story expert from Chipperish Media. Maybe I should build an infographic. Hi, and welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer YouTube series and podcast. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media, and we are here today to talk about Touched, the 20th episode of Season 7. Touched aired on May 6, 2003, and was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner, with Rebecca Rand Kirshner as executive story editor and Drew Z. Greenberg as story editor. This episode was directed by David Solomon. Touched was the last episode of Buffy for both Kirshner as a writer and Solomon as a director. We're getting to that part of the series, folks. All right, let's go on patrol. In Touched, the potentials fight over how to decide what to do next, while Buffy wanders the neighborhoods of Sunnydale as people abandon their houses and flee. She finds an almost empty house, convinces its owner to get lost, and raids the fridge. Let me tap. Faith and the Potentials finally figure out a plan. Kidnap a bringer. That was, uh, actually kind of scary. Spike and Andrew return from their adventures to find Buffy gone, and when Spike learns what happened, he is not happy. You sad, sad, ungrateful traitors. After trading a few punches with Faith, Spike leaves. With Spike gone, everybody gets to the job of getting the bringer to talk, which he does, through an unlikely source. I'm only a fragment of the we. We work as one to serve the first. Spike finds Buffy and tells her she was right. Caleb is definitely guarding something at the vineyard. Buffy is too depressed to care, and Spike tells her what he sees in her. You're the one, Buffy. Faith makes a plan to invade the vineyard the next morning and gets a visit from the first, dressed up as the mayor, who gives her a warning. You stay on guard, Faith. Buffy's dangerous. If you're not careful, she'll destroy you. As couples pair off in Buffy's house, Buffy and Spike hold each other in the abandoned house, waiting for morning to come. When it does, Buffy heads out to the vineyard to surprise Caleb. Hey, heard you got something in mind. Buffy and Caleb spar and she evades him, managing to gain access to the weapon he's been hiding. Meanwhile, Faith and the Potentials, with a similar idea, fight the bringers at the vineyard, only to find a gift left behind. Touched is the episode that moves us through the dark moment, bickering and power-grabbing with faith in the potentials and the isolation of Buffy, and into the renewed commitment to fight the good fight, and in that still space before the launch into battle, we have quiet moments of romantic connection with a handful of couples, Buffy and Spike, Faith and Wood, Willow and Kennedy, and Xander and Anya. We'll talk about Buffy and Spike in a bit. Let's get everyone else out of the way first. While we've got three couples getting it on in Touched, none of them are really romantic. So let's go in order, from best to worst. Faith and Robin Wood are a good, fun pairing, and I tell you, knowing that Faith, who appears to rock that zero on the Kinsey scale, has been locked up with a bunch of women for a really long time makes this all the more satisfying. The two have chemistry. They realize they're very likely about to die, and there is nothing wrong with working out the kinks with someone who consents. Am I out of line? Hey, you're the leader. I love that she asks him for consent there. That's how it's done, y'all. It doesn't need to be a big deal. Just get that enthusiastic yes and get yours, girl. Then we have Anya and Xander eating ice cream directly out of the container with a shared spoon in the ultimate of hedonistic excess. 
Disgusting is what it is. Yes. Yes, it is. But they don't have bowls at Slayer Central. You know, someone else is going to want to have some of that ice cream, guys. But it's a nice, fun moment when the two of them end up on the kitchen floor. Anya and Xander have never been much of a great love or a great romance, as illustrated by this little callback to the reason why they were never good together in the first place. We're all on death's door, repeatedly ringing the doorbell like maniacal Girl Scouts trying to make quota. Now I'm thinking that maybe everyone here shouldn't have a say. But allowing them to take a little comfort in each other on the brink of the apocalypse is nice. Plus, when his mouth is occupied with kissing Anya, he's not saying anything cruel or mean to her, so bonus? Then, of course, we get our little sexual escapade with Willow and Kennedy, which is usually the point in this episode when I check my email. We've gone over in detail why Kennedy is a problem, and while they've toned down her predatory possessiveness, she's still a brat unworthy of Willow, and that's a tough sell. However, while watching Touched this time, Something did occur to me. Willow might just be using Kennedy for sex, you know. Oh, four play was threatening to turn into 12 play. I mean, just because it's Willow, we can't separate sex and love. There doesn't appear to be anything deep and meaningful for Kennedy and Willow, aside from the fact that Willow calls her sweetie, but that doesn't have to mean anything, really. It's disappointing, because this is the only homosexual representation we get in this show, and to have it ruined by a bad pairing kind of sucks. Well, what happens here isn't terrible, and I like that Kennedy is making Willow feel good, and that part about the tethering is kind of sweet. The only thing that makes it bearable is the idea that maybe Willow is just having a casual good time. But when you have to make a romance bearable by reading it as one person using the other, it's probably not a good romance. She's gonna be for fun. example, once really it's, it's for the best. Anyway, yeah. one of those you countries. Then why do I feel like, like this? The betrayal of Buffy in last week's episode was one of the most disappointing moments of the series, let alone the season. But we get a nice moment with Dawn's contrition that makes it a little better. And when Spike comes back and gives them all holy hell for it, it's pretty satisfying. Who do you think you are? We're her friends. We just want... Oh, that's ballsy of you. You're her friends, and you betray her like this. You don't understand. You know, I think I do. Rupert, you used to be the big man, didn't you? The teacher, all full of wisdom. Now she surpassed you, and you can't handle it. She has saved your lives again and again. She has died for you. I love the disdainful way Spike takes down Giles, because even though I love Giles, this guy is not Giles. I'm annoyed that for most of season seven, Giles is replaced by the conflict engine robot, and that annoyance makes him getting this verbal slapdown from Spike kind of a lot of fun. I didn't love the fight with Faith, although it is in character for both of them, but mostly I was wondering why in the hell anyone in that house ever replaces a knickknack. I know why they grab at each other. To feel. I want to feel. I want to wrap my hands around some innocent neck and feel it crack. Touched is a lot of things, but subtle in addressing its theme is not one of them. This episode is all about physical connecting. Most of it's sexual, although we do get some fights. Which is the one thing, of course, that the first can't do. Will it be able to gain corporeal existence once it ushers in the apocalypse? Who knows? We don't really address that, and it's a problem in the first. What does it want? In order for a goal to be effective, it needs to be active, specific, personal, and achievable. The first is actively in pursuit of its goal, unleashing unholy evil all over the world and bringing on a fiery apocalypse. But the rest aren't really there. Specific? Well, 
I guess the apocalypse may seem a bit specific, but really we don't get a sense of what the first specifically wants out of the apocalypse. Just to overrun goodness on earth? It's a little vague, a little broad, not near specific or personal enough. I mean, let's look at our last six apocalypse bringers, all of which are active and achievable, but which have varying degrees of personal and specific, which I would argue speak to the varying degrees of effectiveness. Okay, the master wanted to escape his confinement, both specific and personal. Angelus wanted to torment Buffy in revenge for making him feel and love, both specific and personal, also pretty effective. The mayor wanted ultimate power and invincibility. Not terribly specific, a little weird, a giant snake. But at the same time, I think that it sort of worked and the mayor was fantastic. Adam wanted... Yeah, I still don't know what Adam wanted. I've watched this season a thousand times. I have no idea. Fair enough. Didn't work. Now, Glory wanted to return to her home dimension where she'd been snubbed by all the other demons, which is beautifully both specific and personal. The trio wanted to be rich and powerful, not terribly specific. Those are kind of black goals, but they were supposed to be dumb. And Willow wanted to rid the world of pain by destroying it, which is one way to go, sure. But it was also incredibly specific and so, so personal. So the ones that worked the best had specific personal goals. The first doesn't. But this moment here, I envy them. I know why they grab at each other. There's a moment where you can see the first in a prison, not unlike the masters. Because what does the first really gain in this fight? Right now, the first gets to mess with people's heads and make them do evil. After the apocalypse, when all goodness is wiped from the earth, I guess it's off to the Bahamas to watch really bad people sip the Mai Tais it can't drink. This could have built into something nice and specific and personal, that the first wants to live a life, to feel again. And in order to do that, it has to kill all the Slayer line, and only then can it use the power to transform? Hell, I don't know. But as it is, this moment is just a moment. It doesn't really mean anything in the larger scheme of the story, and I think that's where the first falls down as a big bad. I do, however, like the nice reversal we get with Buffy. This whole episode is about physical connecting. And when she finally gets the best of Caleb, it's because she doesn't let him touch her. She takes an evasive strategy, making his power useless. And it's a nice moment of her outsmarting him. But I never felt like we landed the note here. Okay, everyone's touching slash having sex, and the first is envious, it can't crack some necks. So Buffy comes in, and the secret to getting her scythe is to avoid being touched. But what does it mean? I honestly don't know. Touched has a lot of great things going for it. Thematic clarity, not one of them. You're insufferable. Thank you. That really helped. I'm not trying to cheer you up. What are you trying to say? I don't know. I'll know when I'm done saying it. For me, and I don't think I'm alone, Touched is about Buffy and Spike. Everything in their relationship that I've loved throughout the series has led to this, one of the most romantic moments in a story that isn't actually a romance. It's a love story. Buffy and Spike aren't about conquest or star-crossed drama or even desire for each other because, let's face it, most of the time, she didn't even want him. This relationship is about two people who know each other so deeply and so well that they don't have to desperately reach for each other. They are simply connected. Spike is the only one of the love interests in Buffy's life who hasn't diminished her in one way or another, and only because she's never cared what he thought of her. He could see the real Buffy because she showed him everything, even the ugly parts. Sometimes only the ugly parts. 
Their relationship has been at times adversarial, violent, abusive, and passionate. But no matter what it's been, it has always been honest. And that honesty is what makes this a love story. We tell a lot of romantic tales in this culture, and I'm not going to lie, I love a good romance. It's fun to have the bickering slap-slap kiss of opposites attract, the wild romantic gestures, the tormented Byronic heroes and the damsels in need of rescue. That's all well and good, but that's romance. It's not love. Romance is exciting and titillating and dramatic and hyperbolic and temporary. Love is ugly and solid and real. Love knows you, everything about you, everything you try to hide, everything you wish were different, and it exists anyway. Not because it wants you, not because it needs you, but because it is you. It's not always fun and it's not always exciting, but it always is. Romance is external. Love is internal. It's eternal. You can't escape it because it doesn't hold you captive. Love is not that which alters when an alteration finds nor bends with the mover to remove. Yeah, don't look so surprised. I quoted Shakespeare. This is high-level literary criticism, y'all. Anyway, the whole point being, romances and love stories are different things. You can have romances without a love story, and you can have a love story without romance. When the two are combined, you get something rare and powerful. Buffy and Spike are more love story than romance, I'll grant you that, because they're not terribly romantic. Romance is manufactured confection. The soulmate, Aristophanes, the one who kisses and the one who is kissed. The vampire and the slayer. The Montague and the Capulet. It's a good goddamn time. You'll never hear me make any other argument, but in the end, it's fluff. It's not real. Romance is easily mistaken for love, but it is not love. Buffy and Spike are a love story because they are connected primarily by the one central ingredient to love. Honesty. And I'm not talking about superficial honesty. I mean actually showing yourself, your whole self, to another human being, honesty. Ugly honesty. Naked honesty. It's about more than just not telling a lie. It's laying open your whole truth to someone else. And that doesn't happen a lot. Not in the stories. Not in life. You cannot have love without honesty. Love and lies cannot coexist. Definitely not with malicious lies, lies intended to manipulate and deceive and control. But even when the lies are well-meant, even when they're lies we tell ourselves so we don't have to face our own ugliness, our inner ugliness, the things we think make us unlovable, are exactly the things that love requires, because our ugliness is woven into our whole truth. And without truth, there is no love. Spike's speech is perfect from beginning to end. In it, he expresses love without expectation of return. I've been alive a bit longer than you, and dead a lot longer than that. I've seen things you couldn't imagine, and done things I prefer you didn't. It is a love that knows what it is, and doesn't need sexual expression or conquest to be complete. A hundred plus years, and there's only one thing I've ever been sure of. You. It is a love that demands nothing, bargains for nothing, expects nothing. I'm not asking you for anything. When I say I love you, it's not because I want you or because I can't have you. It has nothing to do with me. It is a love that asks for nothing but to exist. I love what you are, what you do, how you try. I've seen your kindness and your strength. 
I've seen the best and the worst of you. And I understand with perfect clarity exactly where you are. You're a hell of a woman. You're the one, Buffy. And this, this is what is so great about Buffy and Spike. They don't need to get together. They are together. It's their natural state. This, with Spike and Buffy, it's not a romance. It's love. And it is the ugliness of this love that makes it so beautiful. All right, that's it for today. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Jen McIntyre. Jen supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to produce whatever show she wants. Thank you, Jen, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you too can become a Still Pretty producer. I'll see you next time with my thoughts on Season 7, Episode 21, End of Days. Until then, stay pretty. Still Pretty is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish.